Good morning, New Life. How you doing? How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Good. It's good to see you. Alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. That was a song we used to sing when I was a kid. And uh, we won't sing it right now. But uh, hey, we're just so glad that you're here. My name is Chris Puccini. I'm the executive pastor at New Life. I have the privilege of serving with an amazing team of pastors, as well as an army of servant leaders here at New Life. Uh, Many of you were greeted by some of them that came in. If you have kids, you drop them off with some of them today. They're serving in multiple ways. In, In our video tech booth all over this place, we have an army of servant leaders, and it's awesome to be able to serve Uh, with you. And so today I get to be the speaker, which is kind of exciting for me. We'll see if it is exciting for you in a moment. But hey, we're we're glad you're here. We want to welcome everybody that's worshiping with us at the venue. We love you guys in the gym. God is doing some great things all over New Life, and the venue is one of those places. We love you guys. We have a church family in North Platte. We love them. Pastor Dave is preaching out there today live. The same text I will be preaching in James chapter number two. And so just a great day at New Life. I hope you are ready for God's word. Are you ready for God's word? Yeah. All right. If you have your Bible, open it up to James chapter number two. And if you have your smartphone or your app, please right now, if you haven't already, Click on live events, find James week four, and we're going to jump right into the series. Again, we're in week number four of James where faith collides. And the big idea of this whole series is that authentic, real, saving spirit faith will, it must, collide with real life. And then there's going to be something in that collision that that comes out of our life. And so today we are looking at a tough text in the sense, I, I love it, but it's tough in the sense of there's tension. And, and I really want you to, to begin, if you haven't already, if you don't already, when you sense tension in the word of God, that's not a moment to push back or to say, well, that's something for the theologians to figure out, but wrestle with it, all right? Wrestle with God's word in the tension. We're going to do a little bit of that today, and we're going to talk uh, today. Last week was when faith collides with my motives. I grow up. How many grew up this week? Hopefully a little bit more. We begin to love people, and our motives are purified as we allow faith to collide with our motives, relational motives. Today, we're going to look at how faith collides with our actions, our behavior. And so I just got a little quiz, a little question for you. How many have ever been uh, maybe to a foreign country or maybe into an inner city? One of these types of places, if you've been anywhere where there's tourist shops that, that you can buy things that, for example, I went to New York City uh, when I was younger for several times on a missions trip and we went to Chinatown and they have all these vendors and you can, uh, let me just tell you, if you don't know, you can buy a Rolex watch for 50 bucks, a real one, a genuine one. Or you can buy, when I was younger, the cool sunglasses were Oakley sunglasses. Not sure if they're still cool or not, but you could buy expensive Oakley sunglasses for like $10. $5 if you're Pastor Jeff because he can talk those people down. You know what I mean? But genuine, real Oakley sunglasses. You can buy all the, I don't even know the name brand that ladies that you like of, of bags, purses, but all the name brands, I mean like 10% of the real price. It's unbelievable. Now, we all know that those things aren't genuine, though they look genuine. But I got to tell you, when I was younger, 
I, I knew they were fake and I didn't care. You know what I'm talking about? How many are with me? It's like, uh, as long as all my friends thought I was wearing real Oakley sunglasses, I'm good. I'm good with it, right? You know what I mean? And uh, I get that from my father. Dad, if you're listening, you, I got that from you, right? We're cheap, I guess. So, but any, anyway, um, you know, some of us are just like that. We settle for the fake and we're okay with it as long as people, when they look at, look at us, they perceive it to be genuine. And let me just tell you, when it comes to faith, we need to be people who are after the real, the genuine, the authentic faith. Because there are fakes out there. And in fact, I got to tell you, in my own life, I've faked it. And we need to be after the real, the genuine, the authentic And so let me just tell you a little bit more about uh, my life. Last week I shared a little bit. I'm going to fast forward in my spiritual journey to seven years ago when I was the youth pastor here. I left here to go to Tucson, Arizona to be the lead pastor at a church uh, and was there for a little over six and a half years until I moved back. And I'm a kind of a routine type of guy for the most part. And so my routine every week would be I would take Friday off and then I would work Saturday as well. Um, Pastors... We usually work one day a week, um, but I worked, I worked two days a week, just to let you know there. Uh, but I took Friday off, and Saturday I, I would work, and it wasn't to write my sermon, just so you know. We don't wait till Saturday to write our sermons. I would tell people if I wait till Saturday, we're all in trouble, right? You know what I mean? So, but I would go in on Saturday, do some work, and then I would go home because my kids, that's their day off school. I'd go home, spend the, most of the day with them, and then after dinner, I'd go back up to the church till 10 or 11 o'clock and just spend time in prayer and going over my sermon. And one particular Saturday night, I had this great message, and it was all about how God has, God has a purpose for our life and that we need to engage the mission of our life. We need to be in tune with what God wants to do in us and let that out in real life. It was an awesome message. I was fired up, pumped up, spending time at church in prayer, and was ready to go. So it was about 10, 11 o'clock at night, real late at night when I left the church to go home. And so I decided to stop by one of my favorite convenience stores and get a large Diet Mountain Dew because that's the godly thing to do at 11 o'clock at night, right? So... I pulled into the convenience store, and I, and I had picked the, the lane, the slot, the parking spot, the spot that I was going to park in, and I'd already committed to it, and I saw out of the corner of my eye as I'm pulling in this car that had the hood up, and this, the wife was standing outside the car by the hood, and I just thought to myself, oh, no, because it's late, and I got this great message to preach in the morning. I'm tired right? And here is a family that's, there's a couple that's stranded. And so I, I'm, got, I'm confessing to you, okay? I did not want to help them as I pulled in. I even, I even strategized in my mind how I could get by them without them looking at me and making eye contact. Because if I make eye contact, it's all over. My heartstrings get pulled, right? But I, I didn't want to. So I thought, man, maybe, maybe do I, this is confession, all right? Do I fake a phone call? right? You guys don't look at me that way. You've done that before. <laughs> at least you've thought about it. Or the more pure thought would be, God, would, would somebody please call me right now, right? Or, I'm just going to get out and not make eye contact with them because I'm tired. I got to preach in the morning. And there was this moment of tension between, yeah, I love God. I just spent time in prayer. And then now real life I come face to face with real life and I don't want to step out. 
There's a tension. And I think, I think that we all face that tension. In fact, I believe that every day God sets up scenarios. He sets up moments in our life that he means to strengthen our faith develop our faith if we would step in and step out with him great things will happen in our life but it's a moment not only of of refining and strengthening it's a moment of revealing what really is on the inside and i believe every day we have those moments and here's the problem our radar is often turned off to what the holy spirit is prompting us in those moments and i got to tell you in my life far too often the radar switch gets flipped off. And here's where I believe the problem oftentimes comes from, is when we take our faith and we compartmentalize our faith. What I mean by that is, is we come to, maybe we come to church and we worship God. That's a compartment where we express faith. It should be a compartment we express faith. But we come to church and we worship God, and that's a compartment of our faith. Or we go on a missions trip. Great example. If you've ever been on a missions trip, you're in the environment to serve people. You're there to serve, right? So it's easy. You're in the compartment of faith. Or you're serving in a ministry or a very, there's an endless list of the compartments of faith. But then what happens, we step out into real life. We walk out the doors of the church. We come back from the mission strip. We finish the serving opportunity. And now the compartment, we exit the compartment and our radar gets flipped off to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the things that he is calling us because we are people of faith to engage in in this world. And the problem with that is when we compartmentalize our, quote, faith, it's actually a faith that has no power to transform our lives or the lives of anybody else around us. So we're going to talk about this tension. In fact, let me illustrate the relationship again between, uh, between faith and works, behavior, what comes out of our life by looking at Matthew 22. And this is known as the great commandments. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First and greatest commandment, all right? And then he says this. And second is equally important. I think this is massively huge. Equally important. Though it's the second commandment, it's equally important. It says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so my intent with bringing this text up is not to make a dogmatic doctrine out of this idea of faith and works in the the great commandments, but I believe it's a great picture that when I love God with how much? With all, with everything. When I love God, that's a great picture to me of, of authentic spirit faith, right? I love God. There's a a belief in God. There's an expression of my life, a love of God. So you have faith. And then when I take that loving God to now it's transferred to I love people in the same way that I love myself, that is a great picture of works, of behavior. It's outgoing from our life to other people. So you have this faith and you have this works. You have faith, I love God, and works, I love my neighbor as myself. And so I, I want that to be just a lens that you look through as we, as we look at this subject today. So for me, in that moment, a few years back in Tucson, Arizona, as I was sitting in that parking lot, it was a moment of testing. It was a moment that ended up being really a refining and a defining moment in my life. And you know, I think all of us, that's my experience, but I think all of us experience this tension in one way 
or another. We experience this tension between our faith, if you're a believer, a Christian, my faith in God, to how does that intersect and interact with what I do, my works, my behavior, my activity. I think we all experience that. If you're a follower of Christ today, here's, here's I believe, the defining question. What is, what is the condition of your faith? What is the condition of your faith if you say you have faith and yet your life does not produce a corresponding behavior that's in alignment with the nature of faith? How would you, if you were to be honest, what is the condition of your faith if it doesn't bear fruit in your life? That's a question that creates tension, right? The underlying question, and I believe that the question we really need to focus on is, are there identifiable characteristics, if we could take faith and put it under a microscope, are there identifying characteristics of authentic, real, saving spirit faith, the real deal? Not the fake copy that can be generated by all of us, but are there identifying characteristics of real, authentic spirit faith? And so what is real faith? Here's an example uh, of faith and works and the question that creates the tension. Do I need to attend church? Right? Now, growing up, my parents didn't give me an option, right? I needed to attend church. But when I came to the point where now I can decide for myself, do I need to attend church? Because, I mean, is it, isn't it really all about I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven? Do I need to have an action that comes out of my life where I gather together with other believers and attend church? Well, if you're asking me, all right, this is not the Bible, but I'm telling you, you need to attend church, all right? Can you just... You need to attend church, and I think you need to attend this church. Can I just say that? I think you need to attend this church. I mean, God is doing some amazing things at New Life, and if I were you, I wouldn't want to miss a single Sunday. And I just got to tell you, I hope this is true because I feel I'm going to say it. I believe it's true. If I wasn't on staff here, I would come to this church every single time the doors were open because God is doing some amazing things. You don't want to miss it. But back to the text, back to our topic. Do I need to attend church? Do I need to engage in spiritual disciplines? I mean, is that really important? Because those are works. Those are behaviors. Spiritual disciplines are things like reading my Bible. Do I need to engage in praying, talking to God, praying for other people? Do I need to tithe? Do I need to give financially? Do I need to be a generous person? Do I need to help those in need? Do I really need to get out of my truck and help this person that's stranded there? Do I really need to do that? Do I need to repent when, when I sin? Repentance, it, it's a theological term, and it means a change of mind and direction. A, a, great, a great video I saw one time of a counselor counseling somebody, and they're pouring out all of their issues to the person and all of the things that's causing the issues. And the great advice that the counselor had was, just stop it, right? And some of us just need that type of counseling today. That is repentance just stop it. <laughs> stop sinning. Do I really need to repent and stop sinning and turn away from my sin, right? Does my thought life really matter? I mean, God's full of grace. Does my thought life really matter? In other words, does my behavior matter? Do, does what comes out of my life really matter when it comes to salvation, when it comes to making heaven my home? Is it really all that important? You feel the tension? Maybe your question comes from a different perspective, and it's not so much does it really matter, but it's from this perspective of if I do more, 
If I give more, if I serve more, if I do all these things more, will God be more pleased with me? And so you're coming at it from that perspective that you're driven by, I think, I wonder if I do more for God, if I have more works in my life, that God will accept me more. Or maybe even think that God will, if you've yet to trust Christ, that that is the pathway for salvation. And so there's this tension. How do faith and works coexist? What is the relationship between them? So maybe you're Um, The important question I believe that I tucked away in all of that is this. What is real faith? So I think that's the the most important question that I want to have us answer today, try to answer. What is real faith? What is authentic faith? What is saving faith? Because, guys, there is a version of faith out there that looks real, but it's not real. And I think all of us would agree with that. There is a version of faith out there that it's like the person peddling the fake Rolex. It looks real, but it's not real. If we could really inspect what real faith looks like, what is real faith? And I don't know about you, but I think it's good to ask these kinds of questions, not of a pastor, but of the Lord, right? And uh, me as a pastor, I'm just going to do my best to try to interpret for us what the Word of God says and how God's going to help us answer that. So let's go to James chapter 2. In verse 14, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I have faith. All right. Was that a little weird? Right. So you have somebody saying, I have faith. Now, most of us don't say it that way. We don't just come right out and say, hey, I have faith. But we do say we have faith. We say it in other ways. We say it when we come to church and we lift our hands and worship the Lord. We are saying, we are proclaiming to those, to the Lord and to others around us that would see us, I have faith, right? We say it when somebody comes up to us and they have an issue, you say, I'll pray for you. What you're identifying is you're identifying yourself with Christ and the power of prayer. You're saying, I have faith. When somebody asks you to serve, right? And you say, I'll pray about it. You're saying, I have faith. But if we say it, here's the deal. If we say it, but our life does not produce something out of what we are saying, right? Is that of any value? And what conclusion can we make from that? If behavior doesn't follow what we say and profess, if it doesn't line up with the very nature of faith, what good is it? Well, here's what James, the example he gives is, and Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, he says, what good is that? Don't you like how James, he doesn't hold back? No, you don't, do you? He says, what good is that? I think so far we're... We're already getting the implication that 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 kind of faith is of no value. It's of no use. James implies it with his his statement. What What good is that type of faith? It's someone who says one thing, but it doesn't come out when the moment of truth comes. There's nothing produced in his life. And so just to break the tension just a little bit, I want to give you the big idea for the sermon. This is the sermon in one sentence. Please write this down if you're taking notes because I believe this is going to give you hope. Here it is. When faith collides with my actions, I engage my mission. 
Let's, let everybody at all of our locations, let's say that all together. Here we go. When faith collides with my actions, I engage my mission. I love that. That's good news because faith does actually collide. It intersects. It comes into to alignment with my actions. And when it does it, driven by pure, authentic faith, we step into our mission. We engage the rhythms, the purpose that we're here on this earth. Real faith does that. Authentic faith does that. It's a hallmark of real faith. And it motivates. It motivates us. It drives us. It tempts us to do good things, to step out. And when we do that, again, we step into the rhythms of our purpose. James compares somebody saying, they're professing faith. They're saying, I believe, I have faith. And he compares that, someone saying I have faith to someone that says, hey, they see someone in need, hey, I love you. I'm going to pray for you, pat them on the back. You might even stop and uh, I'm going to pray for you. And I believe that's, that's really good. But then it does not produce any corresponding action or behavior. Their talk doesn't produce an activity that's in alignment with the nature of a saving faith, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's saying, he's implying, what good is the so-called faith talk without the faith walk, without fruit coming out of it? It has zero use. It has zero impact on the person that's professing it because you can talk all day and you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong, right? And it has no effect on the people around you by just professing it and confessing it if it does not somehow bear fruit in your life. But see, when faith collides with my actions, real, authentic, saving, spirit faith collides with my actions, guys, I engage my mission. Not only does real faith produce behavior, produce works, produce activity in my life. But there is a collision. There's a collision that happens. It's a spiritual thing that happens with what I'm doing that redeems what I'm doing. And God steps in and he adds the natural. He adds the super to the natural. God shows up. And how many know when God shows up, things change. And he takes our meager attempts to serve him. And I got to say, all of our attempts to serve this glorious God, I mean, come on. But he takes those and he energizes them and great impact happens. And not only that, not only the impact, but we begin to live as people on mission, fulfilling the purpose that God has for our life. So again, the question, what is real faith? What is authentic faith? Is, is, is real faith belief? Does real faith mean I believe in God? I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I, I believe that he died on the cross. Well, let me just say that I believe that real faith includes belief and intellectual acceptance and an embrace that Jesus is who he said he is, that he has the power to save me and redeem me. It's a belief in who God is, right? But James, I love it, he peels back the layers to take us deeper than just an intellectual belief in God and Jesus in the cross and the gospel, and he reveals the true nature of faith. And here's what he says. Can that, are we in the right scripture? Yeah, yeah, here we go. Um, I think I jumped, I think I jumped ahead. This happened last week. What's going on? Man, uh, I lost my, I lost my place. This, oh my gosh. This, this is the second time this has happened to me ever. Pastor Jeff gets to witness this, right? He's not in here. Um, 
Wow. All right, we're just going to go on. Here we go. You, okay, so he says, can that faith save him? And, and he, says, he says this. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, you believe, you have an intellectual agreement, a belief that God is who he said he is. All right, you buy into that. You believe that God is one. That's a good thing. He says, that's good. But then he comes back and he just, he brings in the next part of it. And it's like an uppercut. It's, I mean, it, it, it hurts. Here's what he says. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. And so he's talking about an intellectual belief or, a, 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 you know, I, I buy it. I buy it. God, that you are who you said you are. I believe it. And then he comes, he says, do that. But then he says, but guys, listen, even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons believe that. And are the demons going to make heaven? Right? No. We can all agree on that. So it is more than a belief in God. It's more than just I believe. It's more than just professing and confessing. Authentic faith is more than that. Authentic faith does something more. You see, there are indicators of real faith. There are symptoms. There are are indicators of real faith. And, And here's what it says in verse 17, verse B. This is where I thought I was, guys, just so you know. All right, it says this, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith or a confession or a belief, if it's not accompanied with works, he says it's dead. So here it is, when you surrender to Christ, you have a belief, a believing faith. I believe that Jesus is who he said he is that he lived a sinless life, that his sacrifice was enough to pay the price for my sin. I believe that. That's faith. That's believing faith. And when you believe and you confess, God comes in and he honors your belief. He honors that believing faith and he applies supernatural grace. That's unmerited favor. And he comes in and cleanses you and washes you from all your sin and he puts his spirit inside of you. And now his spirit, the theological term is regeneration. You have a regenerated spirit. He comes in and makes you new. And his spirit mingles with that faith that he puts in you. It energizes that, in, that belief up here to where now faith is transcends just an intellectual um, landscape. Are you following me today? When you surrender to him, he comes in, he makes you new. That's real, authentic faith. James, James says it again in verse 26 as he illustrates what dead faith looks like. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is what? It's dead. So what is the nature of real faith? Let me just say this. The nature of real faith, it, real faith will produce activity. It will produce behavior. Works will come out of your life. Living faith will produce. It will. So what do you do with this information? You know, what do I do with what God has said? I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter number 2. And it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is so huge. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. What you need to do is, first of all, understand and accept this so that you don't misquote what I'm saying or what the Bible says. You are saved not by the works. 
It's not a result of what you do. It is God's unmerited favor. It is by God's grace through your belief and your faith in what he has done. And so what you need to do is you need to realize that. But get this, only authentic, real faith has the power to believe and reach out and activate, have God activate his saving grace in your life. Only real faith has that ability. Your good works will not save you. It says this, not a result of works. You are saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works. That's crucial. That's foundational. We need to get that. But too many people go to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'm saved. I'm saved by grace through faith, and this not of works. And they stop there, and they use it as a justification for not doing anything, for not getting out of the vehicle and helping, for not repenting, for not having a change that the inside affects the outside. And they forget verse 10. Look what it says right after this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Underline that if you underline or highlight that in your version app. Created in Christ Jesus. That's speaking to salvation. You were created, if you're a believer, you were created in Christ Jesus, and it says, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you are saved, you were created in Christ Jesus. And yes, for heaven, but also in this life, for good works. So I'm saved by God's grace. Nothing I can do. It's through my faith. I can't get saved any other way. But then, the purpose... I'm saved, created in Christ for good works. When faith collides with my actions, I have good works that come out of my life and I engage my mission. You were made for a purpose, gang. God made you with a great purpose in mind, but you will never engage your life's mission. You will never engage your life's mission. You will never enter your purpose without genuine faith that produces something in your life. So, I'm sitting in the vehicle, and I don't want to get out and help. I'm thinking about my diet Mountain Dew, you know what I mean, and going home and go to bed. But thank God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment. And I knew what I had to do. I made the decision, all right, God, I'm going to help this family. Because if I was stranded with my wife somewhere, what, what would I want? Would I want somebody to help me or just pass me by? Of course, I would want somebody to give me a hand if I was helpless, right? And so how, how do I love my neighbor as I would want somebody to love me, as I even love myself? And so, God, I got it. I'm, so I got out, smile on my face. Hey, how's it going? Seems like you're having a little trouble. How can I help you? What's going on? And so the man in the car, he didn't speak English at all. His wife spoke a little bit of English and And she began to tell me, you know, the car broke down. We live in this town called Eloy. It's about 45 minutes away, right? So I'm either going to, I've committed, I'm going to either take them home, I'm going to get a tow truck, I'm going to help them. I'm I'm all in. So she tells me that. And so in that moment, I'm feeling good. Okay, God, I know. I know. I'm going to help. But then the Holy Spirit gave me another prompting. And guys, this is going to sound very weird to some of you, strange to some of you. Because it's just weird, all right? And I felt, since the Holy Spirit tell me, the car won't start. He's trying to start it. It won't start. It's dead. It's been dead for a while. They're stranded. They don't have any money. You know, they live far away. And since the Holy Spirit tell me to pray for their car, 
I know, it's weird. It's strange to some of you. And so in that moment, and I got to tell you, I got to be honest, I had maybe half, half a tank of faith about it, but enough to step over the line because they didn't speak much English and I'm good, all right? So if they, <laughs> a little bit. But, but I, I stepped over the line and said, okay, I said, well, I, I can help you. I had, remember, I had a backup plan. Get the tow truck. But I said, I can help you, but, you know, God has a lot more resource than me. And I know this is kind of strange, but I feel like I need to pray for the situation. And not only pray for the situation, but pray Pentecostal-like and lay my hands on the car. All right? I just sense that's what God said. So I lay my hands on the car and I say, God, (laughs) I just pray that you would bring this car back to life. And that you would show yourself to this family. That you love them. That you're real. God, would you do it? So I said amen, and they knew what I was doing. The guy's looking at me like I'm a weird, you know. He's still sitting in the car, and so I look at him like, you know, the universal signal for start it, right? Start it up. He turns it over, and it fires right up and purrs like a kitten. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? Inside, I'm thinking that. Inside, that's like, there's no way. But on the outside, I'm like, there you go, right? And he walked in and got my Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> And let me just tell you, there was tension, and it was a moment of testing for me. I didn't want to do it. And I, let me just tell you, I'm not promising you that you need, and I'm not telling you to go out and lay hands on cars all over the place. And, but let me just tell you, there are times that God, that God steps in, and, and a miracle happens, and you get to witness the supernatural. But sometimes you don't get to witness with your eyes the supernatural, but I guarantee you when you step out and allow your faith In obedience, you step out and partner with that faith, and you step out. God, every time, adds the supernatural, whether you see it or not, whether you see it or not. When you step out and when you allow your faith to collide with works, you engage your mission. That's going to happen. The Apostle Paul, he says in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourself. To see whether you are in the faith. You know, I know some of you read that, you may struggle with that. And you may even struggle with the tension in this message. My, my goal is not to create insecurity in your relationship with God. I don't want you to leave here wondering, well, do I believe? Do I have a saving faith? In fact, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to shine his light upon your life to that you may examine yourself and see, am I in the faith? Is my profession, if you're a believer professing, is my profession of faith, does it hold weight? Does it measure up? Does it pass the test? And the answer, guys, is this. It's not more works. It's not doing more. The answer is surrendering to Jesus is laying your life bare before him and saying, God, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you are the author and the perfecter of faith. And so would you come into my life? Would you make me new? And allow his spirit to come and to be raised inside of you. Surrender, surrender. But don't, here's the deal, don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards in thinking that if you do something for God, that if you perform for God, you can manipulate him him into something. 
that if you just do more, that God will be more pleased with you, or you just do something, then that means God's going to give you his grace. It is not by your works. It's not by your works. Just humble yourself before Jesus, who is the author and the originator of your faith, as Hebrews says. And for all of us, as a church family, we need a continuous collision of our faith corporately together, what we are holding on to with the things that we do. Here at New Life, all that we do, this worship gathering today, the preaching of God's word, the serving in our community when we do outreach, planting churches, having youth ministry, ministry to young people and children, all the things that we do, all the behavior, all the works that we do are driven and will continue to be driven by our core values. And guess what? Our core values are founded in a faith, an authentic saving faith that believes in who God is and believes that God has a mission for us. And as we continue to do that and allow faith to collide with our activities, God is going to come in and he's going to add the super to our natural efforts. Amen? Amen. So together we must continue to allow that faith to produce. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and you use your word like a skilled surgeon. You expose every area of our life. But like a skilled surgeon, your, your intent is to heal and to bring life and to bring greater freedom in our lives. So we thank you for your word that as it exposes our heart and our motives, your word, your word says about itself that it cuts through to the very heart of the matter it divides our soul and our spirit that we could see reality. So we thank you for that, first of all. Father, I pray for my friends here today as we respond. God, may we be people that, not out of insecurity, but out of a hungry heart, say, God, shine your light upon my life. That we take to heart an examination of ourself. Is there evidence that would convict us that we are a people of faith? Is there evidence? And for my friends today that they have yet to cross the line of faith, today I pray that there, there would be an explosion of faith that you give to believe in the crucified and risen Son of God. And they would reach out with a humbled heart that they would reach out and take hold of your free gift of saving grace that they would leave here today confident of an authentic faith being birthed in their life that will produce. I pray for that. And I pray for my other friends that today, maybe they are like me, that at one time, Lord, I was pretty good at faking it. I pray for my friends that are in that predicament today, that there would be a humbled heart, that you would come in, you would bring real, authentic, saving faith that there would be a turnaround. Have your way among us as we respond, as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.